All right, good morning. I want to let you guys in on a little secret. I, um, normally when I prepare a sermon, I like to take three weeks. I know it doesn't take me three weeks to do it, but I always give myself a little extra time because I want God. It's amazing what God does when you're preparing a sermon because when I first start preparing a sermon, like with this one in particular, I was like, okay, I read the scripture and I'm like, Lord, what the heck do you want me to say about this? And then, uh, and then I pray about it, and as I'm preparing, it's amazing to see what God places on my heart. And so, and I was sharing with the last group, so often I went into sermons thinking, okay, God, they really need to hear this today. And slowly what the Lord has done is he sort of said to me, no, you really need to hear this. And when you see this in your own life, and you see these truths come through in your own life, now you go up and you're speaking from personal experience. And so it changed the way that I actually prepare for sermons. So, so I always like to take three weeks because I want the Lord revealed to me. And so now Ezra came to me and said, hey, look, can you preach, this was two weeks ago, can you preach on this particular Sunday? My first thought was like, uh-oh, I only have two weeks, two weeks. And it's amazing what the Lord has done in that time. You know, the Lord has freed me from my legalistic view that I need three weeks for a sermon. Right? He has freed me from that. And so today, this sermon is a result of the freedom that the Lord has given me. And I want to start off with this. I don't often read out of the message version of the Bible, but I want to read from the message version. This is Jesus talking in Matthew 11, and it says this. Are you tired? Worn out, burned out on religion, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And what Jesus is doing, he's speaking to people who are so burned out on religion. And what he's saying to do you get tired of trying to follow rules all the time? He's like, you know what? If you follow me, my way is freeing and it's light. That's what he's literally telling them right there. You've been trying to follow religious customs and rituals and duty, and you're burnt out. That's what he's saying to them. When you look in the Bible, one of the themes that you often see is the theme of freedom. If you go back, and it's several different places, but you go back and you see the, the prophet Isaiah, one of the things that he quotes when he says is, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed. And it was Jesus who walks into a synagogue on a Sabbath and states those same exact words and says, these words are now fulfilled in himself. And then he goes, and even in John 8, when he's speaking in John 8, he's speaking to the Jewish people who have believed him. And he says, if you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. And you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. And they said, well, we've never been enslaved to anybody. And he's like, if you've sinned, you are a slave 
to sin. And so you constantly see in the Bible this theme of freedom. Freedom. And so what we're going to look at today and see is how true freedom in Christ, true freedom in Christ has consequences. The true freedom that we have when we give our life to Christ has consequences. And what we're also going to see is what are the consequences of living in Christ and living out in our life this gospel of grace? Let's pray. Father, as always, Lord, we just pray and we ask that you would prepare our hearts and our minds to hear you, God. Oftentimes, Lord, we will understand something, but we don't know what it looks like in our life. And so we pray, Lord, help us to understand what this looks like in the everyday moments in our life and just reveal to us where in our life do we see this and where do we need to repent and turn to you and ask for help, Lord. And so we pray this and we ask this, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen. We are in Acts 21, verses 17 through 36. So we are continuing our walk in the book of Acts. Acts 21, 17 through 36. And I want to start off with the first section and break that out a little bit. And so it says this in Acts 21, starting in verse 17. And now this is, the, this is Luke, the physician, writing this down as he's experiencing this and going through. He says, When we had come to Jerusalem, the brothers received us gladly. On the following day, Paul went in with us to James. This is Jesus' brother. And all the elders were present. After greeting them, he related one by one the things that God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they had heard it, they glorified God, and they said to him, You see, brother, how many thousands there are among the Jews of those who have believed. They are all zealous for the law. And they have been told about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or walk according to our customs. What then is to be done? They will certainly hear that you have come. Do therefore what we tell you. We have four men who are under a vow. Take these men and purify yourself along with them and pay their expenses so that they may shave their heads. Thus, all will know that there is nothing in what they have been told about you, but that you yourself also live in observance of the law. But as for the Gentiles who have believed, we have sent a letter with our judgment that they should abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual morality. Then Paul took the men, and the next day he purified himself along with them and went into the temple, giving notice when the days of purification would be fulfilled and the offering presented for each one of them. And so here we are. We are continuing our walk in Acts. And so Paul has now come to this council of elders. Now, why are they meeting in the first place? Well, what they were trying to figure out, remember, this is really early on in Christianity, and they're trying to figure out things. And one of the things that they were debating was, what do we do with people who were Gentiles and they've now become Christians, right? Do they need to follow the law of Moses? And not only that, including the rules of circumcision. And so what eventually they did, they came to the conclusion that no, they're not under obligation to follow those laws. Why? Because when they come to know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, their salvation is fulfilled in that. God literally takes the righteousness of Jesus and places it on them. So there's no need. Remember, all of those laws were a foreshadowing of Jesus. And so they don't have to follow that. 
And so what they do is they eventually write a letter to the Gentiles telling them, here's what we want you to do. Don't sacrifice to idols. Don't drink or eat anything with blood, you know, what's been strangled, and stay away from sexual morality. And so that's what we look at the Gentiles. And so the good news is what Paul is saying to them is, man, I have been preaching to the Gentiles, and God is doing some amazing things right now. And so they're praising the work that's been happening and how the Lord has been moving through Paul in that ministry. But so here's the, the quote, quote, bad news part of it, which is they say, look, thousands of those who have come to know Christ are Jewish. And as a result, they're still very, very zealous in observing the Mosaic law and following rituals and customs. And what they believe is they believe that you are telling them not to, that you should forsake Moses, don't get circumcised, and don't walk according to customs. What they were telling was that he was essentially becoming anti-Jewish. And so we have to ask the question, well, is this true? Is this what Paul was telling them to do? And so when you look at what Paul has said in his writings and his letters that he's written, you begin to understand what Paul is saying. And so what Paul was doing is, number one, he was teaching the Gentiles that they were not obligated to try and keep the law, that they don't have to live in a ritual observance of the law because Christ already fulfilled it. And so when I know Jesus as my Savior, that fulfills the law right there. So they were not under obligation. The second thing is that when Paul would minister to Jewish people, he followed the customs. So he wasn't against following the customs. What he was against was when we did those things for salvation. Right? And so when he writes his letters to the churches in Galatia, he's telling them about that. Anything that adds on to the gospel He's like, that's where the problem begins, right? And so what's happening is these people are probably seeing some of the things that he's saying and he's writing, and they probably just forsook everything. He never told them to forsake the law of Moses. Everything was a foreshadow of what Christ was doing. For example, you look what he says. He's saying that teaching following the law doesn't increase your standing before God. You know, when he writes in Galatians 5, he says, For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision counts for anything, but only faith working for love. He said, look, whether you get circumcised or not circumcised, it doesn't increase your standing before God. God doesn't look at you and say, way to go, man, you got circumcised. Great job. It doesn't matter. He's not saying it's not important. What he's saying is it doesn't increase your standing before God. And then when you see in Galatians 4, 9, he says this, but now that you have come to know God, or rather be known to God by God, how can you turn your back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world? Whose slaves you want to be once more? What he's saying is, you've come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Why do you want to go back to following rules? That's what he's saying to them right there. This is what the truth of what he's saying. He's telling them that everything in Christ Everything they've been doing is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Why do you want to go backwards? Why do you want to eat at a delicious pizzeria and then go to the mall and eat Sabaro pizza, right? Why do you want to go backwards? No, it's not the same. But what he's saying is you're going backwards, right? You're going backwards. He was opposed to putting customs and rituals 
especially on Gentiles, but adding anything to salvation. Anything to salvation. So these were not true. These were not true. And so what they said was, well, what do we do about it? Because when they find out you're here, they're going to come after you. Remember when Ezra preached last week, and one of the things he said was they were telling him not to do what? Don't go to... Yes. This is what they were waiting. This is what they were afraid of. They were afraid of what was about to happen. and said, okay, here's what we do. This is our plan. I want you to take these four men who are under a Nazarite vow. All right? These men have vowed to purify themselves. We want you to take them along with yourself, right? And what they're going to do is they're going to let their hair grow. They're going to shave it when it's over. They're going to dedicate it. And they're going to burn it along with the sacrifice. You take them. You go yourself. We want you to pay for them because they had to go into the temple and pay for the animals to sacrifice. We want you to pay for them. We want you to go in. We want you to show yourself to them and to follow those laws, those customs for purification so that they can see that you are not against them. Right? That's what they're telling him to do. And so Paul goes and does it. He does it. He goes and he does what they ask. Paul is, he has the flexibility to go and to do this. Why? Because he understands that if I do it, it doesn't change my salvation. I'm already saved. So I have the freedom to be able to do that. He also has the freedom to not do it, but he understands. I don't want to make a brother stumble, so I'm going to go and I am going to do this thing. When Paul writes his letter to the Corinthian church, so what the Corinthian church was a young church, and they were going through a lot of struggles, and they had a lot of questions for Paul, and so they write him a letter, help us answer these questions. And one of the things he says to them is this in 1 Corinthians, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews I became as Jew, in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, not, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. And so what we see is Paul's freedom in Christ. I'm living this freedom in Christ for the sake of the gospel. I can be like anyone. And I can go and hang out with Jewish people and do the Jewish customs because I know that the Jewish customs don't make me saved. And I can go and, and hang out with those who are not under the law. Also, I have the freedom to do that. And so you hear this and you're like, man, Keith, I get it. But what the heck does that have to do with me? Because I'm leaving here, I'm going to watch the Eagles game after this, and then I got to go back to work on Monday. I have no idea what this means to my life. Well, let's just break it down for a second. The first part of this is you look at religious people and you look at religion. What are the customs that we believe save us like circumcision? How many people see around Easter the Ash Wednesday? right? Or the ash Wednesday. The ashes on people's forehead, right? Is there anything wrong with that? No. There's nothing wrong with that. 
as long as you don't believe that I have to get this ash on my head, because if I don't, I am not saved. Or that God is looking like, where is your ash? (laughs) Right? You see the problem it has? The ash doesn't save you. And so what we do is we take salvation and we start adding laws to salvation. And so whether I get the ash on my head or not, I am free in Christ because my salvation is in Christ, not on the religious ritual. And so that's an example of where we may see it, right, in our lives. If it's for somebody who is Jewish and they want to still celebrate Yom Kippur and Passover with their family, there's nothing wrong with that. As long as they don't believe that God is going to be really angry at me if I don't celebrate Passover, So do you understand the difference between that now? Freedom in Christ and then adding these additional things on there. And so that's from a religious standpoint. Now, you look at it from a non-religious standpoint, right? And there's a a speaker from Ravi Zacharias Ministries. His name is Abdu Murray. Now, who better to know what it's like to be under the law? Why? Because he's a former Muslim. And so everything they did was predicated on, you must do these things to get to God. That's what the whole faith is based upon. And so he says, he calls our world today the culture of confusion, (laughs) right? We don't even know which way is up anymore. And so what he says is the culture of confusion nowadays, they use the term freedom, but it's not really freedom. What it is is the word autonomy, which is literally, it's the Greek word autonomos, which is self-law. We want to decide what we want to do. I want to make the law for myself. And so I'll figure out what I want to do and what I don't want to do. And they use the cover of the word freedom. True freedom is to live how Christ created you to live. It doesn't mean you just go off and do what you want to do. Does that make sense? Right? And so that's what Paul sees in the Gentiles. You don't want to go to the extreme of saying, just go. Now that I'm free in Christ, I can do whatever I want to do. Because that's why he goes on later in Corinthians. He says, all things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. Yeah, I can do everything, but not everything is good for me. And I used this example earlier. I went to the gas station this morning, and uh, they had like a Dunkin' Donuts built in. And so I went to get some coffee this morning, and they had this big poster that said, uh, your cup, your way. Right? I can get a soda the size of my head and drink it. Right? I had the freedom to do that, but is it the best for me? Right? All things are lawful, but not all things is really necessarily good for me to do. And so that's what Paul is saying right there. I went to a funeral a couple weeks ago, and uh, at this particular church, I don't know if they call it a pastor or a priest, I don't know what they called this particular person, but this was at the funeral. They said, we're going to take communion now. And he said, and so everyone is invited, as long, it doesn't matter what faith you were baptized into. And so I just sat for a moment and said, okay, I'm trying to understand what that means. You see, at Riverside, when we do communion, what do we normally say? We say, these are for people who have given their life to Jesus Christ. Why? Because what I'm called to do is to remember Christ's body being broken and his blood being shed. And so we say, that's what we're remembering by doing this. Well, if you haven't given your life to Christ, then what are you remembering? So then why are you taking it, right? And so there are people who believe that I have to do this because if I don't do this, I'm not going to be saved. 
And so that's why we were very particular about that. And so here I am at this funeral, and I'm like, I don't feel comfortable with this because I knew that people were going up and taking communion who didn't know Christ. I didn't feel comfortable. So in my freedom in Christ, I was like, I chose not to participate. But I didn't have the fear that God was like, why aren't you in line? Go. I had the freedom, right? I had that freedom. But you know what? If there was somebody who was saved and who was in line getting that, I'm not going to say anything about them either. They have the freedom to take it. That's the freedom in Christ. That's the freedom that the apostle Paul has. He has that freedom. So my question is, how are you using your freedom? Do you still find yourself living today afraid to do stuff because that's the way we've always done it? And this is what rituals, and you can't break free from this. Are you truly living free in Christ Jesus, or are you still bound by the shackles of where you came from? Right? Are you still bound? What Paul's concern is, is he wants to just make sure that people are not doing these things because they believe it makes them closer to God or it's what saves them. But he has no problem doing them. Does that make sense? So that's what he's saying right there. And so if you were to say, well, what is the main point of this right here? True freedom in Christ lets me live free in Christ for the sake of the gospel. I can do either one for the sake of the gospel. For the sake of people knowing Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, I can become weak. To the Jews, I can become a Jew. To those who are not, I can become as not. I have the freedom to go back and forth because of my freedom in Christ. And so now, Paul goes and he does it, right? He wants everyone to see that I am not against the rituals and the customs and observing the law, right? So then, therefore, his life should go smoothly now, right? Let's see what it says in verse 27. When the seven days were almost completed, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, Men of Israel, help! This is the man who is teaching everyone everywhere against the people and the law in this place. Moreover, he brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, and they supposed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Then all the city was stirred up, and the people ran together. They seized Paul, and they dragged him out of the temple, and at once the gates were shut. And as they were seeking to kill him, word came to the tribune of the cohort that all Jerusalem was in confusion. He at once took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the tribune and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the tribune came up and arrested him and ordered him to be bound with two chains. He inquired who he was and what he had done. Some in the crowd were shouting one thing, some another. And as he could not learn the facts because of the uproar, he ordered him to be brought into the barracks. And when he came to the steps, he was actually carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the crowd. For the mob of the people followed, crying out, Away with him! So Paul is falsely accused of teaching against the law and the temple. And that he had also brought a Gentile into the temple. You see, in the temple itself was a court. And in the one court was the court of the Gentiles. Gentiles could come inside the temple in this court. They had to stay there. If they ventured anywhere past there, they would be killed. And even the Romans, the Romans were very much against any of their conquered nations killing any of their own citizens. 
And they were even like, yeah, if somebody goes in there, you can kill them. And so now they're telling Paul, you are against the law, you are against this place, and you had brought that Gentile to the court. Now, do you think if Paul had really brought the Gentile to the court that he'd be standing there right now? They would have killed him. And so they're accusing him falsely of these things right here. And in fact, what they say is what? Away with him. Away with him. Who else did they say that to? Man, right? Isn't it funny how Paul, who used to be against Christians, he has literally stepped into the life of Christ. And he's taking the same exact path as Jesus. Who could have ever imagined that in his own life they'd be saying the same thing to him that they said to Jesus? Away with him. Why? For the sake of the gospel. For the sake of the gospel. But that's a whole other sermon right there, so we're not going to get into that right now, right? And so they're saying this. Even if you live your life according to Christ has called you to live, there will still be people who will look at you and condemn you for how you are living and oppose you. Why? Because the freedom that we have in Jesus oftentimes will bother those who are not free. Why? Because they believe that you are trying to undo their customs and their regulations and their traditions and their religion. Right? What do you mean? Well, I know that many of you come from a background that if you dare leave that place, your family looks at you like, How, what are you doing? You're going to a church like Riverside? Doesn't you get all dressed up, right? When you go and you go on Saturday or Sunday, whenever you guys do it, isn't the person all dressed up? Don't you take communion each time? You don't do those things? And so your family will look at you like you're crazy because you're not following the traditions, right? And so you see that. There are some places that say, you're not reading out of that version of the Bible? They're so steadfast in continuing in their traditions that they're taking the gospel and they're adding on to it. And so people have no freedom in Christ. They are in bondage to tradition, bondage to rituals, because they believe that if, unless you do these things, God is looking at you and he can't wait to strike you down. And so they don't live free. They live in bondage. And so you see that on the one hand. What about non-religious, right? You look at the culture today, the culture looks at us and says, stop trying to change us, right? Stop trying to change. You can't change the way we do things. You know, forgiveness. Somebody does something wrong, you get them back. And if you have freedom from that and say, I can forgive those who have hurt me, right? That's one example right there. Or you don't hang out with people that you used to hang out with and do the same things. They look at you like something's wrong with you. You know, that tension of, I used to go and do these things. I can't do those anymore, right? And it bothers people, the freedom that you have in Christ. Because on the one hand, they are not free because of their religious rituals that they've added. And on the other hand, they're not free because they think that they can do whatever they want. And that's bondage to sin. And in both cases, they're in bondage. To be truly free is to live in Christ and how Christ has called us to live. There's a woman named Rosario Butterfield, and she has a book called uh, The Secrets of an Unlikely Convert. And so this is a woman who says that I had same-sex attraction. I was in a lesbian relationship. I was a professor at a university. And I hated Christians. I hated them. Right? And I can understand why. I can understand why she would have a problem with some Christians, right? And the legalism. 
And so she said, but for the first time in my life, a pastor and his wife, in their freedom, loved me and just loved me. And she said, and I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. And she says, and I did. And so now she's actually gotten married. She's gotten married to a man, and the man is a pastor. She's gotten married. And she says, those same people that I was with are now after me. And so I actually wrote her, wrote her an email. She was getting ready to speak at a university, and I was like, man, I'm just praying for you that, you have, that the Lord gives you the strength to share your story and your testimony. And she was like, thank you. But she's experiencing it herself. She was like, because I know Christ and the freedom that comes with knowing Christ. She's like, the very same people I used to hang out with are now after me. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like the Apostle Paul's life? Right? The freedom that she has in Christ. And so what Paul is, is Paul is free from the legal obligation of trying to follow the law for his salvation. He's free from the bondage of sin in living this autonomous life and doing whatever you want to do. And free from having to go along with everybody else is doing because that's what everybody else is, is doing. Have you experienced that freedom to love? Have you experienced this freedom, the freedom of Christ in your own life? Because when we face, when we have this freedom and we live this, you're going to face hardships. You see, Jesus was accused of the very same thing that Paul was. Right? That's why Jesus, when he says in Matthew 5, he says, don't think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I haven't come to abolish them. I came to fulfill them. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. I didn't come to get rid of it. I came to show you what a life looks like when it's fulfilled. That's what he's sowing right there. That's what he's saying. And they accuse Paul of doing the same thing that they accused Jesus of. Jesus Christ was the most free person that ever lived. And how is he free? Because he said, I do nothing unless I see my Father do it. Jesus says to us, if you love me, you'll do what? Obey. Obedience to Jesus, that's where true freedom comes in when you obey what Jesus has commanded. And so when Paul says, I've become all things to all people, who was more like that than Jesus? He moved toward everyone. He ate with sinners, with unclean, the sexually immoral. He even ate with the legalistic Pharisees. He was truly free to go and do that. And in fact, the best example of that is God was, quote-unquote, free to come and become like us. That's what he did in Christ. He became a man like us. And so Jesus is the perfect example of that. And Paul was opposed when he did that. You saw what they're doing. They're beating him. Jesus was the most loving person ever. And what did they do to him? Both religious and non-religious. They took him and they nailed him to a cross. They couldn't wait to get rid of him. And so you see everything that Paul is going through right now, Jesus had been through. And Jesus showed what that looks like. True freedom and to truly fulfill the law and to be released from the bondage of sin is knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And how is he going to do it? He gave his life and he died and rose again so that we would be forgiven of our sins. 
we would be forgiven of trying to live every day following religious rules and rituals to make God happy and to be saved. And we would be free from the bondage of sin in our lives when you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. That's what he came to do. And for many of us, we are still in bondage today because we still think that we have to do religious things to be saved. So what does this mean? Well, as I stated earlier, the first thing is true freedom is living the way God intended because of our faith in Christ. I live how God has called me to live in Christ Jesus. That's where true freedom comes from. True freedom is not following rules and regulations, and true freedom is not just going off and doing whatever I want to do. That's bondage also. That's true freedom. And the second is this. When I live in true freedom, understand that, yes, there's a real possibility that you are going to face hardships, and you're going to face a lot of pushback, because as you free yourself from religious obligations, people are going to look at you like, how dare you? What are you doing? And as I free myself from the bondage of living and believing everything that the world believes, you're going to face pushback. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul went through also. Jesus lived it and experienced it. The Apostle Paul lived it and experienced it. And now that Jesus lives his life in you, what do you think is going to happen to you in your life? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, man, God, we just... uh, Lord, it is really, really hard for us, God, because our sin just so clouds our minds and our views of everything. Lord, some of us, our whole life have been brought up in just real legalism, Lord, in our lives. And we have always believed that in order to have a relationship with you and for you to love us, that we have to do certain things, God. But Christ shows us It's not that way. It's through faith, working through love. That when we know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, Father, that you accept us and see us the exact same way that you see your Son. And so, Lord, we ask for freedom from that. But help us also, Lord, to to know those times when we can do those things because we're trying to reach others with the gospel too, Father. And then there's also the other part of us, Lord, where we... Sometimes we're afraid that with this quote-unquote freedom that we'll just go off and do whatever we want, Lord. And we know that that's also not part because we know that not everything that we do is best for us, God. And so we ask for help in freeing us from those things in our life, Lord, that that have a hold of us, that that try to keep us in bondage to sin, Lord. And whatever that is in our lives, there's so many different things, Lord. But help us to know what the true freedom looks like, which is knowing Jesus Christ, receiving the free gift of his salvation, and now living how he's called us to live, not because of obligation, because of love. And our motivation is totally different, Father. And there's some of you here today that, are, that do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Let me just tell you this right now. It is this simple as receiving a free gift that he's offering. It's not a religious obligation. There's not 35 other steps that you've got to do. It's just praying this simple prayer, which I'm going to say right now, and you can say it to yourself right there, and say, Dear God, I ask that you would forgive me of my sins. I've lived my life apart from you. 
and I've sinned against you. And I believe with my heart that Jesus died and rose again to forgive me of my sins. And I thank you so much for your salvation. If you prayed that prayer with all eyes closed and head bowed, just raise your hand. Thank you. Thank you. Father, help us leave here today, not just with a head knowledge, but a heart change. Lord, help us to live lives where our freedom is an opportunity to point people to know and to fall in love with Jesus and what he's done, Lord, and to show us where this applies to our life and where we still struggle. We can just turn to you in repentance, God, and ask for help. Lord, we lift this in prayer in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. Let's, let's stand this morning as we continue to worship.
if you're going to stick around for uh, Larry and Donna's uh, blessing of their marriage and ceremony, we're going to do that in about 10 minutes, so um, feel free to stick around for that. Otherwise, God bless and have a great day. Go Birds.